Great, thanks. Please do um, keep that passage open. We're going to have a bit of a kind of thematic talk today. So we're looking at the idea of work, truth and justice. Um, And so we're going to refer to that passage in places, but also look at lots of other bits of scripture as we go through and very much have a bit more of a thematic uh, talk than perhaps we'd often do. I just want to spend a few minutes really looking at how the life-transforming truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, must inevitably shape us into being people of justice, people who declare uh, truth and justice, people who do um, justice. That's what I want us to look at today. So shall we just have a moment of prayer and then we'll we'll dive in. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, um, for its power, uh, for the way that it speaks to us, uh, cuts to the bone like a double-edged sword. Please would you uh, speak to us uh, tonight through it, uh, open our eyes anew uh, to see new wonders and draw us closer to Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. I think one of the, the key points that I, I wanted to sort of bring out tonight is, is the idea, really, that um, the gospel uh, and a life poured out doing justice, they're inextricably uh, linked, that they're things that are bound up together and we can't separate them. And yet so often, I think the truth is that we do end up separating them, even in church life. You kind of get a justice crowd that's really into justice, uh, and I'm not necessarily so interested in perhaps um, some of the kind of evangelism things. And then you have an evangelism crowd sometimes that really wants to focus on that and gets concerned if we do too much sort of justice stuff, will that detract? I think that's often a tension that we have. And I think that is something that we can get seriously wrong uh, as a church and which can you know, take us away from what we are doing, devalue the gospel uh, and devalue um, the work of justice. So just, just as we start, I mean, what is um, the Christian uh, gospel? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, at the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is surely this. We are justified by faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. This is what um, Paul writes in, in Romans 3. He says this, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All other religions say, don't they, that live as you ought to live and and God will accept you and bless you, but, but not Christianity. Christianity, the gospel says, accept God's acceptance and blessing. Receive it as a gift uh, through what Jesus has done on the cross And then and only then will you live as you ought uh, to live. So it's not kind of live as you ought and then get the blessing. Rather, it's receive the blessing and that is how you will live um, as you should. They're they're two very different um, things. So you're not justified by your works or by your efforts, by living as you should, but by your faith. And through your faith, you receive God's gift. And I think justified means more than being pardoned. It's more than sort of saying sorry, being forgiven, our sins being put on Jesus, although that is an important, that's a key part of it. But that's not all um, of what it means. It also means that Jesus' righteousness uh, is, is put on us. So if you think about it, I think forgiveness is essentially a negative kind of concept, isn't it? So it says you're no longer liable for punishment. Whereas justification by faith is a a positive uh, concept. It's about taking on a new status, a new status for free. Uh, Even though we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we get it uh, for free. 
One person put it like this. To speak forgiveness is to say, go, you've been let off your penalty. But to speak justification is to say, you may come and you are welcome to live in my presence. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it like this. 2 Corinthians 5 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those amazing words. What, what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was treated as if he had done everything that we had done. And it means that as we receive Jesus Christ and are justified, God accepts you as if you had done everything that Jesus had done. That is an amazing place to be. Uh, The writer Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, uses this uh, helpful illustration, I think. He says that on the cross, Jesus kind of won the big battle uh, with sin uh, and death. And it's as if the medals that Jesus won on that battlefield, the battlefield of history, they're they're pinned to us. They're pinned to our chest. We didn't win the medals. We didn't deserve the medals. We contributed nothing to the battle but our own sin. But they're pinned on us. And when God looks on us, he doesn't see our sin and our brokenness. He sees those medals that Jesus Christ won on the battlefield. So in God's sight, it is as if we've done everything that Jesus had done. If, if we're a Christian, God looks on us and is delighted. Why is that? Because he looks on us and he sees Jesus Christ. That is what justification by faith alone means. In the sight of God the Father, we're righteous uh, in Jesus Christ. What has that got to do with justice, you might be saying? What on earth are we talking about all this for? Well, well, I think it's got a lot to do with justice. I don't think we can really understand justice or or, or get to a place of living out a life of justice as God God would have us unless we kind of get that, unless that is the case uh, for us. Trying to separate justice and that justification by faith concept. It just divides where we can't uh, divide. Let me just give you four reasons tonight why I think that doesn't work. Four reasons. Here's the first one. Doing justice is the sign that we've been justified by faith. Doing justice is the sign that we've been justified by faith. It's not the basis. We're not justified because we help poor people, let's say. But if we do deeds of justice and mercy, it is a sign that we have uh, been justified. We've been saved by God's grace. It is a theme that runs through the whole Bible. We haven't got time to look at that many examples. But if you read through the Old Testament prophets, uh, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, they all say that if you're not intensely concerned with the plight of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor, it's a sign that your heart is not right. Uh, with God. It's not just a case of being disobedient. It's something wrong with our heart. Deep down, there's something wrong uh, with our relationship with God. We saw this week in Norwich, I think the Polish shop was burnt, wasn't it? Romanian. Uh, Well, Deuteronomy 10, listen to this. In Deuteronomy 10, God says to the Israelites, if you see aliens, if you see immigrants amongst you, don't abuse them. Deuteronomy 10. Why? Because you were foreigners in Egypt and I brought you out. That's what God says there. 
God is saying, I saved you by grace. If you treat these people unjustly, immigrants and aliens, you're not remembering that you are saved by grace. It's not simply a case that if you oppress immigrants, if you oppress outsiders, you're breaking the rules. Rather, you don't remember what I've done, says God. I've saved you by grace. If we're a sinner saved by grace, we will care about the poor. If we don't care about the poor, there's something wrong with our relationship uh, with God. That is a point that follows through the New Testament as well. Just listen to these words of Jesus in, in Mark 12, verse 40. This is Jesus talking about the Pharisees. He says this, They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. What is Jesus saying? There you are on the one hand. You're praying, you're looking good, looking religious. But at the same time, you're exploiting the needy and the powerless. That shows there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Or or these words of Jesus in, in Luke 11, verses 38 to 42. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give, a tenth, give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. The way you know your heart is right with God, that you've got a relationship that is based on grace, is that you care about the poor. Our reading in James, I think it drives that point home with with striking power, doesn't it? If you look at our reading, James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. James is sometimes seen, isn't isn't it, as kind of contradicting Paul's teaching of of justification by faith uh, alone. But you you just have to read it carefully to see that's not the case, don't you? What is the point that James is making? It's not that works save you. Doing works don't save you. But faith that doesn't lead to works is dead. It is not real. It's not saving faith. Because real saving faith, it results in good works. And what are those good works? Guess what? Concern for the poor and the oppressed doing justice. How, how, do, we, how do we know that we're born again? How do you know that you're saved by faith? How do you know that you've accepted Jesus' salvation? You're no longer trying to work to be saved by your own good works. You know it because you care about the poor. That's what this teaching says. When you see people without resources, your heart goes out to them. If that's not the case for us, we we may be saved. But we're just lacking the evidence that's the case, says James. Justification leads to justice. Justice is the sign 
of justification. The two are linked. That's the point. A life of concern for the poor, doing justice, it is the sign, the inevitable sign of justifying faith. That's point one. Point two is this. Justification by faith will change our attitudes to justice. It will change our attitudes to justice. Think about this. If you think that you're a really good person, that God will accept you, if you think about it, don't you think you have a very low view of the law of God? If you think you can please God through your own moral effort, then actually you're just putting the, the kind of the bar down here, aren't you? Because justification by faith says this, God is holy and you fall short, a serious way short. We're commanded, aren't we, to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, Mind, yet, yet what do we do? We love other things. We're commanded not to commit adultery. What does Jesus say? Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. We're commanded not to murder, but what does Jesus say? Anyone who is angry with his brother will be judged. So do you kind of see that the idea of justification by faith, it sort of pushes, it pushes it pushes the kind of law of God up on high. So in, in the end, we just recognise that the only way, the only way we'll be saved is if God comes himself and dies for us. Nothing less than the death of the Son of God will do. That, it elevates our understanding of justice. God, God will not, he cannot, he does not overlook justice. He cares And because of that, he stopped at nothing in order to save us. Not even the death of his own beloved son. That's the length he went to. And once we understand that, we grasp that justice, it matters to God. Exploitation, evil, injustice, they matter. And surely when we understand that, when we kind of get that, won't we see that in the end, there's, no, there's never a place for us ever to be condescending or patronising to anybody, to anybody even who commits injustice. There's no room, is there, for anybody to be kind of self-righteous or full of pride. I'm getting this right. I'm doing all these great things. Why aren't other people with me? There's no place for that. Why? Because we know that in the end... We, we are the perpetrator, aren't we, of the ultimate injustice that there is, which is rebelling uh, against God. Justification, once we understand that, justification by faith, it will change our attitudes towards justice. I think third, justification by faith, it will change our attitudes uh, to the poor. Change our attitudes to the poor. Listen to these really familiar words of Jesus in in Matthew 5. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean in, in those words? He means this, I think, that God's blessing comes to those who acknowledge that they're spiritually bankrupt. To those who recognize They're in debt to God, and there is no way they can pay it themselves. So isn't the point being made this, that if you're poor in spirit, 
if you are poor in spirit and you find an economically or kind of materially person who's struggling in that way, what do you do? What do you do? Do you say kind of pull your socks up, try harder, work harder? Surely you don't say that, because if Jesus had said that, well, then you'd be in hell, wouldn't you? Would you say, well, I don't mind helping the deserving poor, those who haven't got themselves in a mess, those who've, you know, just fallen by by unfortunate circumstances. I don't mind helping them, but other people, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, surely we wouldn't say that. Because if Jesus had said, I'm only going to shed my blood for people that are deserving... Well, he would never have come and shed his blood for anyone, would he? So when we become poor in spirit, the way we treat people, we, we can't have any kind of condescension. Because we, we look at people and we know that we're just looking at people and we're looking in the mirror. They're just like us. Perhaps you're here this evening and you don't believe in justification by faith. Though. You, you don't believe that's the way... It works. The idea of holiness, the wrath of God needing to be appeased by Jesus on the cross, it's, it's just not for you. Surely in the end, God loves people. He's going to let us in. It's all going to be fine. I'll be accepted. God loves me. He's going to accept me. It's not going to be a problem. That is a really kind of middle-class way of thinking, isn't it? Because you're kind of saying, well, in the end, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to earn enough standing with God to get through. That's kind of what you're saying. I've worked hard, I deserve what I get. And yet, isn't the truth of the position that on the day of judgment, that won't be enough? God will reject you. You cannot make it on your own. And in the meantime, you'll probably be condescending to those who are in a mess in life, even in the quiet of your own four walls, because the logic of your position is they're not as deserving as you. They haven't tried as hard as you. If we kind of get what Jesus did on the cross, we can never think in that way, surely. Justification gives us that high view of God's law. It it changes our attitude to the poor. I think, finally, it, it changes the attitude of the poor as well. Just think about the gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ. If it is understood by people of any background, but particularly the poor, just think about the transformation it would bring. Just turn back to James uh, chapter 1, verse 9. If you still want James open. It says this, James chapter 1, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. What that is saying is that every Christian is at the same time, at the same moment, a sinner who deserves death and hell and yet a fully loved and accepted child of God. At the same time. You deserve nothing but in Christ, you are loved, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're adopted. And what James is saying, he's saying, well, if you're well off as a Christian, if you're successful, if you've basically had a good life, it would be good for you to dwell on your sinful condition. 
on how you deserve nothing. Because in the world, all you do is get people bigging you up. And actually, if you think in that way, if you dwell on your position, your sinful condition, it will bring home reality for you. But James is saying, if you're a poor Christian, you should dwell on your high status. The fact that you're accepted, the fact that you're a child of God. Because in the world, all you get is disdain. And, and this will bring home reality of the truth of your position in the sight of God. It's true, isn't it? It's a cliche, but that the world values social status and attainment above all things. You are the car that you drive, your bank account, the house that you live in, the job that you do. But what does the gospel do? The gospel demotes. It kind of brings all those things down, doesn't it? It takes down the proud and it lifts up the humble. The gospel says you're not defined by what you achieve. You're not, you're not defined by your background. You, ca- you count. You're loved. Unconditionally. Infinitely. Irrespective of anything you've achieved or not achieved. And surely when, when the world sees the church doing that, doing justice, then the world's going to be interested in justification, isn't it? Justification leads to justice. Justice will lead to justification because people will listen. They'll wonder, well, what is it about this church that is so different? What is it that causes people to live in this way? If they could see what happens in Acts chapter 4 when the early church shared everything they had, shared their resources, preached the gospel, there were no needy persons among them. How powerful that would be if we could even get close uh, to it. Tim Keller, just as we close, uses this illustration in his book, uh, Generous Justice, which if you read, you'll realise there's quite a lot of stuff I've nicked from. Uh, He says this, There was a a wealthy old lady. She had no uh, children. She had a nephew who hoped to inherit uh, her money. And to her face, the nephew had always been uh, very compassionate. But she'd heard stories from other people saying, well, that's not really the case. That's not really uh, what he's like. So she wanted to be sure that the person who inherited her money was going to use it wisely, going to use it generously. So one morning she dressed as a homeless person. She lay outside his house. When he came out, what did he do? He swore at her, told her to leave, uh, said he'd call the police. And at that moment, she knew what his heart was really like. How he responded to that woman on the step revealed what he was really thinking about his aunt all along. All along, he'd just been manipulating her and just deceiving her. Proverbs 4.21 He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. God says, look, I am, the, I am the poor person outside your house. I am the poor person that you live near. And your attitude towards them, it reveals your attitude towards me. What does the Lord require of you? Asked the prophet Micah in chapter 6. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly 
with your God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are uh, a God of justice. Uh, Lord, that you, you love justice. You love things to be put right. Uh, you, you saved nothing. You held nothing back in sending Jesus Christ in order to save us. Lord God, please would, you, please would you take that deeper into our hearts that we may understand uh, how wonderful the free gift of life through Jesus is. And Lord, that you would liberate us to be people uh, that are more like the people you'd have us be, able to do justice, to be generous, not to be condescending, to be servant-hearted, uh, to be loving, to be sharing, to be people that live out uh, the values of your kingdom, Please would you help us to do that by your spirit that we may be changed and the people uh, that we know, that we encounter uh, around this church and in our communities, they would be changed as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.